We're going to be in Revelation chapter 6 this evening. How's everyone doing tonight? Good. And also, if you would put a finger in Daniel chapter 9 and Matthew chapter 24. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word tonight and be reminded that all things are under your control and in your perfect time that you're going to bring justice, that you're going to open these seals upon the world. And Lord, we pray in the time that we have that many people would come to know Christ, that, that our hearts would be burdened for the lost. And We lift up our hearts to you. We, we lift up our praise, our thanksgiving. We lift up the needs in our lives, just express to the Lord the things that are going on in your life. Cast those cares upon him because he cares for you. God, we pray that you'd meet us in a powerful way in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we look at Revelation chapter 6 tonight and the significance of the seals, I want to pause and just remind us, where are we at in our study of the book of Revelation? Uh, First, we know the divine outline. We got to go back to the divine outline that God gives for this book, and it's chapter 1, verse 19. It says this, write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which take place after this. So God gives us an outline for the book. The things that are, are the revelation of Christ, Revelations chapter 1. And the things that are, are the church age, excuse me, I messed that up already. Write the things which you have seen, which you've seen is chapter one, the revelation of Christ. The things that are, are chapters two and three is the church age. And then the things that take place after this speaks of all of the events after the church age from chapter four, verse one to the end of the book, chapter 22. And then if you look at chapter 4, verse 1, you'll see this phrase again. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. So twice in verse 1 of chapter 4, we see that phrase, after this, after these things. After what things? After the church age. The church is mentioned many times in chapters 2 and 3, and we don't see the church mentioned again after chapter 3. Chapters 4 and 5, you guys got those down? What were chapters 4 and 5 about? The throne room of God. What are chapters 4 and 5 about? The throne room of God. Let's try that again. What are chapters 4 and 5 about? The throne room of God. Yeah. So encouraging. The throne room of God. The throne room of God is set. Jesus is upon the throne. As we got into chapter 6 this weekend, there was these six seals, six of the seven seals that were opened. The seals carried the scroll. And they unlocked the seals to be able to come to the scroll, and only Jesus is able to open up those seals. What I'd like to do tonight is we're going to cover chapter 6 in a different way, is I want to go ahead and reread the chapter, 
And then we're going to focus on verse 1 and then launch into Daniel chapter 9 and also Matthew chapter 24 and look at the significance of the seals. But I want to review this just so that you have this chapter fresh in your mind as we talk about it tonight. So verse 1, Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So that's the first seal, the the first horse, the, the white horse. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that the people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard a living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hands. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living creatures saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death and Hades. Followed with him, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth, to kill with a sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God, for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were, was completed. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth, as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. The sky receded as a scroll when it was rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man, hid themselves in caves and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide from the face of, of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, who is able to stand. Let's go back to verse 1 of Revelation 6. Now I saw the Lamb opened one of the seals. So as we're thinking about the book of Revelation, chapter 1, the revelation of Jesus, chapter 2 and 3, the church, chapter 4 and 5, the throne room, now we get to chapter 6, and the first seal is opened. It's the beginning of the tribulation. It's the beginning of God's judgment. It's the beginning of the wrath of the Lamb. Now, we're going to fast forward for a moment in the book of Revelation because I want you to see where we're going in this study is the seven seals then lead to the seven trumpets. So once the seventh seal is done, then it goes right into the seven trumpets. 
And then the seven trumpets lead into the seven bowl judgments. So there's these three phases of God's judgment, and the seals are the first. At the end of those bowl judgments, there's the voice that cries out and says, It is done. When Christ died upon the cross, he declared, It is finished, and the judgment of God is done. And Christ returns and he rules and reigns for a thousand-year period. So this verse 1, when this first seal is opened, is significant because it ushers in God's judgment. And it starts off uh, in a pretty dramatic way with these four horsemen, these four horsemen of apocalypse, the, the white horse and the fiery red horse and the black horse and the pale horse of, of, of death. Now, this time period is a seven-year time period, and it's called the tribulation biblically. And I really want you to understand where we come up with that from the scripture, that I'm not just making that up. And that's why we're going to go to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, where we see 70 weeks that are described in Daniel chapter 9 that lay out God's prophetic plan for the children of Israel. And why this is important is the 70th week is the tribulation. The 70th week is the beginning of these seals that we read of uh, tonight. So turn with me to Daniel chapter 9, and we're going to look at verse 20. To set the stage a little bit in Daniel 9 is Daniel is in Babylon as a captive, as a slave. God said they would be enslaved for 70 years. They've come up close to the end of that 70 years, and Daniel's desperately seeking God, saying, God, you promised that you would set us free after 70 years. He's praying according to the word of God. God responds with his answer to that specific prayer, but much more as well. God's future plan for the nation of Israel. And what I want you to be encouraged by tonight is God does have a plan, and this plan is foretold in the word of God. Prophecy is important. In Revelation 19, 10, it says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We don't have to get nervous about prophecy because prophecy points us to Jesus. Prophecy proves that the Bible's the inspired word of God. No other book has as much fulfilled prophecy. There's 353 fulfilled prophecies in the first coming of Jesus Christ. There's a book called The Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy. That's quite the title, isn't it? The Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy by Barton Payne, and this is what he says. There are 1,239 prophecies in the Old Testament and 578 prophecies in the New Testament for a total of 1,817 verses. These prophecies or excuse me, for a total of 1,817 prophecies. These prophecies are contained in 8,352 of the Bible verses. So 1,800 prophecy, 8,000 verses. Since there are 31,124 verses in the Bible, the 8,352 verses that contain prophecy constitute 26.8% of the Bible's volume. That's a lot of numbers. Could have said that a lot simpler. 25% of the Bible is prophecy. So if you're saying, man, I don't really want to study prophecy, then don't study the scriptures. 
because 25% of the scriptures is prophecy. This is a very powerful prophecy from Daniel 9. Let's look at verse 20. Now I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached out about the time of the evening offering, and he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. So Daniel prays, God answers by sending Gabriel to give him this message. At the beginning of your supplication, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, you are greatly loved, therefore consider the matter and understand the vision. Before we get into this prophecy, just remember, God hears your prayers, and you're greatly loved. That was worth coming tonight. God hears your prayers, and you're loved by God. If you're like, I'm confused about all these seals and Revelation and Daniel chapter 9, just remember, God hears your prayers, and you're loved by him. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. So God says seventy weeks are determined for the people of Israel and specifically Jerusalem. The word weeks is really important. It's hepted in the Hebrew, and it literally means a unit of seven. Similar to how we say a decade, we know that to be ten years. So 70 weeks is 70 series of seven, or 70 times seven, which is 490, right? So 490 years, God gives out his plan that he's determined for Israel and for Jerusalem. This is what God's going to accomplish in this 490-year period. To finish the transgressions, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up visions and prophecies, and to anoint the most holy. This is fulfilled in Christ. Christ, in his first coming, he finished transgressions. He paid the price for sin. He's made an end of sin, thankfully. He's reconciled us from our iniquity, bringing in everlasting righteousness. And this prophecy, it goes on and says, In verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. So there's a seven week period and then a 62 week period totaling 69 weeks. And God says that this prophetic clock of this 70 weeks is going to start when the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem, to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. In Nehemiah chapter 2, we have a decree from Artaxerxes on March 5th, 444 BC, to grant the Jews permission to rebuild Jerusalem's city walls. This is the decree that's referred to in Daniel 9, 25. When that decree happened, God started the prophetic clock. And those first seven weeks go by, or 49 years, and that was the time it took to rebuild the temple. The next 60, 
two weeks is what time it took before Christ came and his entry into Jerusalem. So a total of 69 weeks, 69 times 7, is 483 years, or 173,880 days. So if you go from this decree of Artaxerxes in Nehemiah chapter 2 to rebuild the temple, and then you go 483 years, it leads you to 33 AD when Christ's triumphal entry he came riding upon a donkey. God prophesied it in Daniel chapter 9. Isn't that mind-blowing? So listen to this, the words of Jesus in Luke 19. Just, just process it in light of Daniel 9. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this day, the things that make for your peace but now are hidden from your eyes. He says, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day. (laughs) Saying, Israel, you should have known. You should have known that this is your day for salvation because it was prophesied to you back in Daniel chapter 9. Until the prince, that's the, the key there to this prophecy, that 69 weeks, And then we go on into verse 26. And after the 62 weeks, the seven weeks have already taken, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Isn't this a beautiful prophecy of Christ's crucifixion? That the Messiah would be cut off. After 69 weeks total, he would be crucified, but not for himself. He was crucified for our sins. So thankful for the blood of Jesus, aren't you? his sacrifice for us that results in in our salvation. Now, what about the 70th week? 69 weeks are fulfilled, fulfilled perfectly, but there's one week that's yet unfulfilled, and that's what we read of in verse 26 and 27. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war, desolation are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. On the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even unto consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. So the prince is speaking of the Antichrist. Now, what was the first seal that we saw in Revelation chapter 6? A white horse with a rider who represents the Antichrist. This 70th week is the tribulation. And that's why we know the tribulation to be a a seven-year period. And in this seven-year period, we see the Antichrist shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Remember, This prophecy is all about Israel and Jerusalem. So the Antichrist is going to come during the tribulation time, and he's going to destroy Jerusalem and the sanctuary. Till the end of the war, desolations are determined. Probably a reference to the battle of Armageddon. In verse 27, he says, "...shall confirm a covenant with many for one week." The Antichrist is going to be deceptive. 
He's, he's going to come with political power. Again, in Revelation 6, we see he's got a bow with no arrow. He's able to gain power through peace, this, this false covenant. But then in the middle of the week, well, it wouldn't be Wednesday. The middle of this week is three and a half years. So mid-trib, you probably heard that phrase. In the middle of the tribulation, he's going to bring an end to sacrifice and offering in the temple. He's going to go and take over the temple, stop sacrifice to God, and make a pagan sacrifice on the altar. It's called the abomination of desolation. And it's prophesied here in Daniel, and we'll see in Matthew 24 that Jesus referred to it as well. So when we think of the book of Revelation, as we're in this new section of Revelation, the seals are being opened. The seals begin this seven-year period of the, the tribulation. When the last seal is opened, that's going to lead to the trumpets. When the last trumpet is blown, that's going to lead to the bulls, and then God's judgment is going to be completed. In the middle of that tribulation is the abomination of desolation. So I wanted to lay that foundation for us as we consider the tribulation. And I know for many, this can bring a lot of fear and trepidation to our hearts, but we should be comforted that God has foretold the future. He controls it, and he knows it. He controls it and he knows it. And at his perfect time, he's going to set in motion his judgment on a Christ-rejecting uh, world. You guys doing okay? Too much information to take in? So let's just summarize those 70 weeks the best we can in, in simple language. Week is a seven-year period. There's 70 weeks of, of prophecy, so 490 years. 483 years are fulfilled up to the crucifixion of Christ. When Christ died, the prophetic stopwatch went on pause. When that seal is opened in Revelation chapter 6, the stopwatch begins, and that seven-year period begins. So let's look at the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 as he speaks of judgment and the end of all things. And I think you'll see a similarity between what Jesus speaks of in Matthew 24 and the seals in Revelation 6. So as we go through this, keep the seals in mind. Let's begin in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 24. Now he sat on the Mount of Olives, and this is important, because the Mount of Olives is just on the other side of the Temple Mount, you've got a beautiful view of the temple. And the Mount of Olives has huge significance biblically because Jesus ascended to be with the Father on the Mount of Olives. He's going to return on the Mount of Olives. It's an absolute beautiful place. This is right before Christ's crucifixion. This section is referred to as the Olivet Discourse because he's sitting on the Mount of Olives. And the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So this is really important in understanding Matthew 24 as they're asking the question, is when is the end of the age and when is the sign of your coming? The second coming of Christ, when Christ is going to return and rule and reign. 
Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceive you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. This to me seems to correlate with the first seal, with the Antichrist coming upon the white horse. He's going to come in deception. And one of the things that Jesus warns about is he says there's going to be many that come deceiving and saying that I am the Christ. And the Antichrist is really going to come against Christ, and he's going to come in replace of Christ. This is also something that I desire for us to see tonight. Though the seals are clearly something that is yet future, we see these things in play in the world today. So, and that when it comes to the tribulation, they're going to come with a lot more intensity, but we're already seeing these factors at play in the world today. Is there spiritual deception happening? Is there the spirit of Antichrist that is alive and well? Can you talk about anything under the sun other than Jesus? Absolutely. Your job's not in jeopardy if you talk about all the partying you did over the weekend, but your job could be in jeopardy if you speak of Christ and him crucified and him being the only way for for salvation. So spiritual deception is definitely at play now and will continue to grow until the coming of the end. But when it comes to the signs leading up to the end of the age, one of them is spiritual deception and people claiming to be false Christs. In verse 6, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. This, to me, seems to correlate with the second and fourth seal, the red and pale horse, where there's war, violence, sword, death, Hades, which is is the grave. And here Jesus says there's going to be wars, there's going to be rumors of wars, but these are just the beginnings, and it's not the end. The seals are, are the beginning. The seals then lead to the trumpets, and the trumpets lead to the bulls. In verse 7, For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. This is the third seal, and it's the black horse, it's famine. And there will be tremendous famine that will, will happen during this time. But we do see this in play in the world today, just like we see a lot of violence from verse 6. There's, there's wars and rumors of wars and, and violence every time that we, we turn around. There's also famine that is uh, taking place. I read an article today from New York Times on Lebanon, and, and Lebanon is a complete mess. Right now, to get groceries for a week, uh, just a, a week's worth of, of groceries, it takes a month's wage. So you're, you're working all month for just one week of, of groceries. They're out of gas. The, the gas lines are just astronomical. People are trying to get gas. The, the country is just completely falling apart, right? And you look at different parts of the world, and there, there's famine that, that takes place. But is the black horse also alive and well when it comes to the famine of souls? We've got plenty of food in America, but our souls are vanished. Our souls are are starving. People are are dying from the inside out. So these things are at work even before this time, but it's going to be in a much greater way. 
And verse 8, all of these are the beginnings of the sorrows. They will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by the nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended with betray one another and will hate one another. This seems to line up with the fifth seal, which God hears the voice of the martyrs. From Revelation chapter 6, for me personally, what has spoken to me the most is that fifth seal with the voice of the martyrs. That God hears the cry of the blood of those that were slain, that were living for Christ, that their blood is under the altar. And in this issue of God being just, oftentimes God doesn't bring his justice on our timetable. And God told the martyrs, I want you to to wait until the time is completed, and then I'm going to bring justice for all of those that came against Christ followers. And if you've ever had the opportunity to suffer for righteousness' sake, and you've been longing for justice, there can be this tendency in our hearts to think, well, does God see, and is he going to bring justice? Is God really just? In Romans 12, God says, Vengeance is mine, thus says the Lord. That we're not to repay someone for evil, but we're to entrust that to the Lord. That the just one is going to hold them accountable. Don't return evil for evil. In fact, don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Serve that one that has actually been evil to you, trusting that they're going to be accountable to the Lord. That can be hard to do even in small ways. Maybe you were trying to do right in a business dealing and you went about it in integrity and someone ripped you off and they happened to be a brother or sister in Christ. And you go, man, I I lost out on this much money because I did the right thing. God, do you see? Yeah, he sees. And in his economy, he's gonna make that right. Vengeance belongs to, to the Lord. And if you find yourself in that place for your longing for for justice, look at that fifth seal. God hears the cry, and he's going to bring justice in his time. And what we find here in Revelations, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 24, is that there will be greater persecution that comes. They're going to deliver you up to to be killed and to to be hated by nations. Verse 11 Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Are we seeing this at play in our world today? It's going to happen in a greater degree. I think that we're seeing this play out in Haiti before our very eyes. There's lawlessness in, in Haiti. There's a lot of corruption inside of the government. There's a lot of corruption outside of the government. We're praying for the 17 missionaries that have been kidnapped. 16 Americans, one Canadian. Of those 17, five are children. The youngest is eight months old. So lawlessness has abounded, right? Why does lawlessness abound? It's as lawlessness abounds, then the love of many grows cold. When there's no accountability for our actions, it's just going to abound more and more, and then love grows cold. 
where you can find a gang that will kidnap those that are down there to, to build an orphanage. And then during this time of tribulation, this is going to happen to a much greater way. But he who endures to the end shall be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Now notice verse 15, Jesus brings up the abomination of desolation. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. So, so Jesus is saying, hey, there's going to be a time where the Antichrist is going to come in and he's going to set up shop in the temple. But you're going to know, Daniel chapter 9, that this was foretold. You're going to know, Matthew chapter 24, that this was foretold. So side note, but an important note for the Antichrist to shut up shop in the temple, there has to be another temple. Right now, there isn't. Right now, there's the, the Dome of the Rock, one of the holy sites for, for Muslims. Somehow, that's going to be worked out, and there's going to be another temple. Because the Jews are not going to build the temple in Orlando. I hope you know that. It's, it's, it's not going to go next to Disney World, all right? There's only one place that they're going to build the temple, and that's going to be on, on the Temple Mount. And there's a lot of ideas and speculations of how that's going to uh, take place, that maybe the Dome of the Rock is not actually built on the exact spot that the temple would be built. Ultimately, God knows the temple will be rebuilt, and they're going to start sacrificing uh, once again. Now, let's jump down to verse 29 of Matthew 24. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give off its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Sounds a lot like the sixth seal, doesn't it? That we read about in Revelations chapter 6. Verse 31, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and all of the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great joy, and he will send his angels with a great sound of trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. Please remember, in all of this, it's leading up to something, and that's the second coming of Jesus. That is very difficult, and it's very hard to, to think about God judging and God bringing his righteous judgment on a Christ-rejecting world, but it leads up to a glorious end of Christ returning and Him ruling and reigning. An important thing to understand in all of this is I believe that there is a difference between the rapture and the second coming of Jesus. Because the rapture that's described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says that Christ descends in the clouds and the church is caught up to be with Christ in the clouds and forever be with the Lord. And I personally believe that we're going to be raptured before this tribulation begins. And there's two primary reasons why I believe that. And the first is because it's very clear from Revelation chapter 6 that this is the wrath of the Lamb, and Jesus took the wrath of God for us on the cross. And 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us that we're not appointed for wrath. 
And the second reason, which is the most paramount in my mind, is that Jesus told us to be watching for his return, his imminent return, at any particular moment. And we're encouraged that throughout the New Testament, to be watching and looking for the second coming of of Jesus. And in my mind, the only position that points to that Jesus could come back possibly this evening is a pre-tribulation rapture view. Because if Jesus is coming in the middle of the tribulation or pre-wrath, but before the wrath of God starts, but after the seals or at the end of, of the tribulation, then he can't come today because it's clear the seals haven't been opened. It's, it's clear that the abomination of, of desolation hasn't taken place. Now, having said that, there's many people who love the Lord that study the scriptures that have got some good explanations of why they hold to another view. And so if you hold to another view, guess what? We're still brothers and sisters in Christ, right? And we still agree on the main thing, and that is the second coming of Christ, that all of this is leading to the second coming of Christ. So let's seek to apply this in our lives for a few moments. And the first is, If we've got our eyes open, we see elements of the seals at play in the world today. We see the spirit of the Antichrist. We see this spiritual deception that's taking place. We see this violence and we see wars and we see pockets of of famine. We see pestilence and people passing away. With all of our medical technology and all of the ways that we try to defeat death, guess what? Death still wins. Death is undefeated. Death's going to win out. Like, like we're going to die. So as we see these things take place, it's wise for us to understand the times that we're living in. And Paul encouraged us in Romans chapter 3, as we see the day approaching, as we understand the times to know that we're drawing near to the second coming of Christ, that we wouldn't live in darkness, that we would live in light, that we would fully engage in loving Jesus and the purpose that he has for us. Time is short. For us personally, it's short. Before you know it, our lives are going to be done. We're going to be, be home with the Lord. But time for all of humanity is short. So in light of that, what are we really investing our lives in. So I think there's that application as we go through the seals and see the significance of the seals. But I also think there's another application for us tonight, and that is this. It's to know God knows it all. God knows it all. Why, why, did, why did he give it to us in this fashion? Why did he lay it out in Daniel chapter 9 in so many specifics? Why does he tell us in Revelation chapter 6 of his his coming judgment? Because he wants us to know that he's in control. This is still an expression of Revelation 4 and 5, which is the throne room of God. We haven't left the throne room of God. This is an expression of the throne room of God. This is God saying, look, I've got this all figured out. I've got this mapped out, and I'm going to bring my righteous judgment in my perfect timing. And thankfully, we serve a God who longs to pour out mercy first 
then he brings judgment. He tells us in the book of James that mercy triumphs over judgment. God is gracious. That's, that's who he is. That's his very nature. And he's made that clear by giving his son. I think we can understand this in a really small way as parents. Don't you hate bringing judgment on your kids? Bringing discipline? Bringing the hammer? Like, oh, I really don't want to do this. You ever find yourself saying stuff like, this hurts me more than it hurts you? And your kids are like, yeah, right. I remember hearing that from my parents, like, you are so stupid. How, how does this hurt you more than it hurts me, right? But as a parent, you just sit in that, and you're like, oh, I, I really don't want to have to do this. But you know, you know what the scripture says, that God disciplines the child he loves, that you discipline the child that you love. Okay, I love them, so I'm going to have to bring these loving consequences to them. And so God, he, he waits. He tarries. He hasn't ushered in this great tribulation yet. We, we haven't entered into this 70th week. And the generations calling out for God's judgment. Those that are martyred, that are believers, calling out for, for God's judgment. God's waiting. He's, he's tearing. He's merciful. Because he wants to give more and more people opportunity to repent. Because once these things take place, man, it's intense. And then ultimately leading up to the culmination of all things. But, but justice is coming. It is coming. And it's humbling, but it's true and it's right. And I mentioned this a little bit over the weekend, but sometimes there's things that I witness and hear that kids go through, and that especially just causes me to cry out for God's judgment. You've got innocent kids getting taken advantage of, getting abused. When I read of stories in the news of kids getting kidnapped and raped and killed and found in some field that their body, you cry out and you say, God, would you be just? Lord, would, would you make this right? And sometimes on this side of eternity, the offender doesn't seem to get justice. The justice doesn't seem to fit the crime. This is what they've done, and yet justice hasn't been, been paid, and, and God is going to make sure that, that justice is done. But in that line and in that line of thinking, I have to examine my own sin, and I have to really think about, man, if I'm longing for God's justice, what if God was just in my life? Because he also holds me accountable for the thoughts and intents of my heart. I'd be very humbled and ashamed if all of my thoughts and the intent of my heart were up on the screen during service tonight. And you guys were seeing right through me. I guarantee you, you would find another church, right? But God sees and he knows. And without Jesus, without his blood shed for, for my sin... I wouldn't have grace. I wouldn't have forgiveness. I wouldn't have eternal life. So though we long for justice righteously, our hearts are moved towards mercy because God's been merciful to us. Because God's forgiven us. And we're forgiven sinners that get to take the message out 
to people that, man, God is holy and his justice is real, but he sent his son to die for you and rise again so that we could be forgiven of sins. When I read Revelations chapter 6 as it ends, who, who can stand? It gives me a fresh view of the holiness of God. It gives me a, a fresh view of the depravity of our sin, the real nature of our sin. And it also causes me to really appreciate what Christ has done. I don't understand why things are going the way that they're going, especially internationally and nationally in our country. But God knows. And things are working out just the way that he wants it to. He's got this all mapped out. He's got it foretold. And he's controlling everything to ultimately lead to one day the seal's going to be opened. And it's going to set in motion the seven-year period. Then Christ is going to return and wrap things up. And that's the exclamation point of the Bible. The Bible really ends with God dropping the mic, you know, and welcoming us into his throne. So let's stand together and let's pray. Are you guys finding this to be helpful or am I just losing you guys? So, yeah, it's a... This is a little new for me, taking the weekend text and, and then doing an in-depth on Wednesday, but I'm enjoying it and enjoying studying with you guys. So let's, let's pray together. Jesus, we admit that we see through a glass dimly. These are, these are future events. But we also understand that you've mapped these things out in your, in your word. The prophecy in Daniel 9 is just, just mind-blowing. So, Lord, we trust you. We, we trust you that you've got all things in control. And, and so that also means in our lives, that the challenges that we're facing, the, the hardship that we're going through, Lord, you've got it. And we take comfort in you. I pray for those tonight that are especially suffering, that they be encouraged knowing that you are in control, that you're seated upon the throne. And Jesus, we look forward to your return. We look forward to the rapture of the church. You told us to be ready and to, to be watching. And so we wait with expectation and we long for your justice, but we also understand our need for mercy. We understand the, the need for so many to come to know you as our Savior. So we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.